0: From eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Mustafa Rahman. Mustafa Rahman is the managing director and practice head Europe of the Eurasia Group, which is a political risk consulting firm. We're going to call you Midge because you're a friend, Midge. Uh, First of all, about one of the most topical issues uh, exercising many people's minds at the moment, both political circles and the media, which is the, the, the imminence of a deal possibly between the United Kingdom and Europe 27 uh, coming up soon maybe to be uh, formalised at the European Council at the end of next week. But one of the key sticking points as you know better than I do is this issue of the harder, hard border between the Republic of Ireland uh, and, and Northern Ireland and of course this issue of uh, regulatory alignment. Could you explain to me how big an issue this regulatory alignment issue is?
1: Good to be here, Paul. So, it's clearly a big issue. Um, The DUP clearly has leverage there, providing Theresa May with her majority, um, and they weren't happy with the language in the draft text that suggested a degree of regulatory alignment between North and South. I think ultimately, for the DUP, they can't sign off on a settlement for the North that will see it closer to the South than the rest of the UK, and indeed the EU so this is clearly a problem they're exercising their leverage but i don't think at this stage it will be a deal breaker i mean uh, the irish government um, has a lot to lose from not moving to phase 2 um, in terms of economic linkages um, they they desperately need some perspective on the future trade agreement they want to get to phase two discussions from the dup's perspective um, i mean what's the Ultimate end game, they can bring the government down. Look at opinion polls today, that would mean Jeremy Corbyn would be sitting on top of a minority government in a hung parliament. That's a terrible outcome for the DUP, not least given Corbyn's views on Sinn Fein and the IRA. So I think ultimately they do have influence. That influence is, is limited somewhat. Part of their concern was they weren't involved in the process to the extent they felt they needed to be. So it's as much a substance as a process question. Number 10 and Theresa May are more inclusive. I'm sure there can be an agreement on a form of words that's sufficiently um, vague for all parties to move to phase two. And it will be something around regulatory alignment. Um, that's a more palatable form of words than no divergence because it keeps open the possibility of divergence in the future. And I think ultimately the only way Theresa May is going to get a square. The circle in her cabinet is by pointing to alignment in the
0: short term. But with Northern Ireland, vis vis Northern Ireland, or the rest of the United Kingdom?
1: I think, I think broadly in the cabinet there will be pressure for the UK to diverge from European regulations. Ultimately, um, you know, hardline Brexiteers will want um, to take advantage of the UK's newfound sovereignty once we've left, which suggests pressure to diverge over time. Of course, there are others in the cabinet that are mindful of cushioning the economic blow of Brexit. And the way one does that is to seek convergence with Europe in the short to medium term. So you incrementally edge away from Europe, meaning divergence long term, once the government has built up an evidence base. That suggests trade agreements with third countries will offset the economic cost of more trade friction with our most important partner, that is the EU. So it's it's short-term alignment, medium to long-term divergence. I think that's ultimately the formula and um, a, a form of words for the situation in Northern Ireland. I think.
0: And will that short-term alignment be enough though to take away the, any arguments for the reposition of a hard border? Agriculture is 80% of the problem, Task Force 50 has been arguing that
1: if you essentially create a customs union and single market in the area of agriculture, so you have alignment on agriculture, SPS, that would address 85-90% of the problem. Um, And then the rest would be a combination of, you know, expanding cross-border cooperation in areas covered by the Good Friday Agreement. It would involve technical solutions using technology, um, customs posts, not necessarily controls, trusted trader schemes, a combination of all of those alongside a degree of alignment in the sectors where that's most important. That could avoid a hard border, have a soft border, but ultimately... If the UK government's position remains um, the position they've currently articulated, which is that the UK will leave the customs union and the single market, that's the long-term objective. Um, this border will be the gateway to the single market and the customs union from the EU's perspective. And they are adamant, adamant that some form of border will be necessary if there's a degree of alignment, suggest suggests that border could be softer Supposed to harder but ultimately it depends on the degree of alignment and that I think ultimately Paul is a, is a, is a negotiation for phase two in the context of the broader uh, framework of relations between the UK and the EU at that point. So you're reasonably confident
0: that in the, the European Council at the end of next week there will be some kind of agreement and decision that assessment, common assessment, common agreement that quote-unquote sufficient progress has been made and therefore everybody can move to, to phase two?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's our base case. I think negotiators need to be in the headspace for a deal and that clearly wasn't the case in October. There wasn't the mentality that we're moving to a deal. It's clear the gaps were still very, very significant on all three areas. Obviously, the UK at that point had not moved on the financial settlement Hadn't really moved on um, the outstanding questions on citizens' rights and the border issue hadn't even really been discussed right. in any material way. My sense, on the basis of our discussions with all the players on all sides, is that there is the headspace for an agreement. That's where the negotiators are, I would say, mentally. And there's been a tremendous amount of progress over the course of the last few days. I anticipate there will be over the course of the next few days now. I mean the suspicion Theresa May where it's Tuesday today and the suspicion she'll return to Brussels tomorrow maybe that's too soon, maybe it'll be Monday next week the point is a deal could even be done um, in the run up to the council I mean ultimately heads of state will want Michel Barnier the EU's chief negotiator to green light sufficient progress so they have that recommendation to work with so there'll need to be some staging of the European Council but this can happen very close to the council. The only real implication is that there won't be guidelines, fully worked-up guidelines on um, uh, on trade. But our expectation is that's not likely anyway until January. The UK doesn't want it because they've not defined the end state. The Europeans don't want to rush. Could it affect guidelines on transition? I think unlikely again because. In the April European Council this year, heads of state already worked up guidelines on the transition and what it would look like and they're essentially going to import that language into the European Council conclusions next week. So even, even if there's a deal at the last moment, late next week, it doesn't really affect the output of the European Council. I think we still get guidelines on the transition, there's still a positive language on leaders about the fact we've moved to phase two and ultimately it's only in January where you begin to get um, language on um, potential trade guidelines and indeed beyond that as, as task force fifteen the Member States begin to take a position on the type of frame that they want what to negotiate with the UK.
0: Well as you're gonna see that there's been a huge amount of uh, political capital invested in in the so-called divorce proceedings, the Article Fifty talks, and a huge amount of uh, media attention devoted to those talks for obvious reasons, especially more in, more in recent weeks. But the fun starts to use a euphemism uh, once this, this 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 phase two is initiated, right? Because until now, U twenty seven have been remarkably cohesive and disciplined and speaking more or less with one voice, much often too. UK government's annoyance and frustration but how will things pan out when phase 2 commences officially
1: yeah, it's a great question Paul so yeah phase 2 is really very really is going to be very very challenging for the government and in our advice to investors I mean we're not even clear the May government this administration is going to survive next year just given the the, the, the quantity of challenges it will have to navigate through the Article 50. I mean, the first, of course, is um, seeking an ambitious trade agreement on essentially equivalent terms to the ones we currently enjoy. This fallacy that hard Brexiteers are making, are arguing that a, an equivalent level of access is indeed achievable. It's just not the way the Europeans are thinking about the negotiation. I mean, ultimately, to achieve the same level of access, three conditions need to be met. The first is regulatory alignment or indeed equivalence, slightly lighter, across sectors, so for every individual sector, equivalence or alignment in terms of regulations. Second condition would be the, the UK subscribing to horizontal EU acquis norms, the so-called level playing field. And the third condition is, of course, the four freedoms. Right. Um, Now, even if you meet Condition 1 and 2, highly unlikely because there will be tremendous pressure to diverge in the UK Cabinet by people like Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Liam Fox and others Even if you meet the first condition or the second indeed second condition, there's no way the government will sign off on free movement of labour during or beyond indeed the transitional period So there's no way you can achieve a trade agreement with the same level of access Now the reason that's a problem for trees and Mays because it's in that context, ambition of the trade agreement, that hardline Brexiteers will sign off on the financial settlement. And there's still a notion in Parliament among Tory MPs that the 40 to 50 billion Theresa and is going to sign off on is a check for the future framework. And when they see what that framework looks like, and mm-hmm. it is a baseline, unambitious, narrow trade agreement that addresses tariffs and quotas, there's little or nothing on non-tariff barriers or services, I don't think they're going to be happy with that payment, so there's a big political challenge, both on money and on the trade agreement that will come, I think, into focus in phase two of course the Irish question will get a bigger hearing whatever fudge um, they come up with in phase one will need to be unpacked and developed um, and substantiated in phase two, and I think that of course is clearly going to be a challenge not least given the the, the the majority Theresa May sitting in in London gives her very little degrees of freedom, I mean really very difficult, ultimately the government's position on three areas are mutually incompatible exiting the customs union in the single market no north south border and no new internal border within the UK, well those three positions don't work, something will have to change, but given the majority given she's reliant, Theresa May's reliant on 10D, PNPs, that's And then, Paul, the last thing I would point to, of course, is the Article 50 that will need to be voted on um, in the Council, in the European Parliament, in the Constitutional Committee, in the plenary, but also, of course, in the House of Commons. Now, in the Commons, they have created the second withdrawal bill, the implementing um, act. It's a piece of legislation that will have to be uh, passed through the Commons, and this will allow MPs to implement the Article 50 deal because it's legislation, it can attract amendments. Those amendments could do a whole range of things, seek to send Theresa May back to the negotiating table, extend the Article 50. It gives MPs space, basically, to to reject the deal Theresa May has brought back home. It's not just an up or down vote, it allows them to actually influence the content, if I can put it like that. And can Theresa May get this through Parliament, Uh, based on the deal she's likely to bring home? It's not at all... It's not an all-clear, that's
0: likely. But if you're not confident that this current administration and Theresa May's Prime Minister will, will be sustainable in, in 2018, are you talking about her being deposed as leader and therefore as Prime Minister by her own party or a new election? Or well, what is the scenario you're sketching out? So
1: there's, there's two, two scenarios. I think both are, from our perspective, negative for Brexit, negative for markets. And one would be Theresa May simply mismanaging the Article 50, let's say... In January or February next year, they define an end state agreement that looks more like Norway than it does Canada. So, let's say, Theresa May, I don't think this is where we're heading, but let's say for the sake of argument, she defines an end state that's closer to the Philip Hammond yeah. view of the world than the Boris Johnson, Michael Gove a view. A soft, soft Brexit. Yes, yeah, soft, a, a softer Brexit, not only through the transition but beyond. At that point, I think um, you know, the European Research Group, the 60 MPs on her right, they moved to mobilize and oust her because they don't believe all the concessions they've been swallowing thus far have been with the view to getting not simply Brexit but hard Brexit long-term. If they don't believe they're going to get that long-term anymore from this leader, well, maybe it's worth them risking their chances. On a new leader, if you think about the Tory succession process, highly likely the activists will get a vote. They didn't over Theresa May. I think they're furious with her because they didn't get a say over her, um, assuming the premiership, and then, of course, she lost the majority on the 8th of June, so I think the activists will have a say, very hard to believe a Remainer will get through that process, so if you have a Remainer and a Lever on the ticket, I think a Lever will win. That's one, that's one um, scenario which you know is, 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 is problematic for the Article 50 because it's very unclear whether the new leader, when they take power, will be um, committed to all of the concessions the May yeah, government yeah. has made, so does everything on the divorce unravel at that point the the more the more concerning scenario would be um, at the time this this vote takes place on the article 50, which is still being negotiated in parliament at the moment, but let's assume it's a meaningful vote. So as I say, one that doesn't simply give MPs the opportunity to agree or not and then revert to the WTO, but actually one that allows them to send Theresa May back to the negotiating table. If that vote does not succeed. Um, it's very hard to see the government surviving and that's a de facto vote of confidence and we've been talking to a large number of MPs constitutional experts former senior civil servants I think they all believe and we believe this would be a vote of confidence in the administration which means if it failed we would move towards a general election I mean Corbyn would be given just shy of two weeks to try and form a government he wouldn't have the numbers to do it so we'd have a general election and as I say if you believe the opinion polls today I don't want to draw a straight line, but my assumption that would probably be Labour would win that general
0: election. But in both these scenarios, of course, against the backdrop of, of the clock still ticking, right? One forgets that. We're due to leave at the end of March 2019, whether she stays in power, whether she's deposed by her own party, or whether whatever is a general election towards the end of 2018. Um, so, and you were saying also that there's a risk, in any event, that would what what painfully been agreed by them next week in the Article 50 negotiations might, might unravel. But we'll run out of time. Then we're going to go for a, uh, a crashing out of Europe scenario. Well, think any any
1: big political turmoil in the UK um, will likely be met with a um, suspension of the Article 50. I think if the UK asks for for that, uh, the Europeans will grant it. So I think if there's an election, Article 50 would be paused for the duration of that election taking place, a new government being formed, it, determining its position on the Article 50. If the lead, if if the Tories are indeed to go through a leadership succession because Theresa May doesn't make it, I think at that point as well the Article 50 would be suspended for a period of time. But yeah. but you're right. I think that the 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 general point is the right one, which is there's a tremendous amount to negotiate through phase two and very little time in which to do it, given how long it's taken for the government to uh, build internal consensus on the divorce. So
0: there is a risk. Um, well we're running out of time actually which, but um, <laughs> um, one thing actually on transition you say and you and you clarify the rest of us that there's still no clarity from the British government about what the end, the destination is uh, as far as it's, it's concerned vis-a-vis the, the, its future relationship with the European Union U27 um, and therefore even the discussion on, on transition is still open, you know even the, the idea of a transition uh, painfully being accepted by some hard brexiteers, but not by all of them. The, the duration of that transition, during which time, of course, as I understand it, we'll have to accept jurisdiction you know, protection of the uh, court of justice, pay into the budget still, accept the norms and rules being imposed upon us without any say. So, even even negotiations over the the transition, it's also would be very uh, controversial. Yeah, so Paul,
1: there are, there are three areas I think that are going to be most contentious on the transition. I mean, over the weekend, you had a number of Eurosceptics that um, wrote a letter, again, arguing that there should be no ECJ oversight during the transition. I'd ignore that. I think, basically, the government has articulated a position on the transition, and that position is it's essentially status quo absent voting rights for the period of that transition. And the reason the government's come to that position is because that's the only transition the Europeans are offering. So if the government doesn 't want to be confronted with a, um, you know, a, a WTO tariff regime in the intervening period between us leaving and indeed the, the conclusion and implementation of the future trade agreement, it will have to accept the transition Europe is offering, and that stands still absent voting rights. What well, are the three areas that are contentious I think the first the first that will be difficult is defining the length. I think the, the government for political purposes obviously wants the transition to be done and dusted well before the date of the next general election, so May 2022. I think our intelligence tells us Theresa May's preference is March 2021. Now the problem of course is, it's highly unlikely, if we leave in March 2019, at that point there's a new legal process that starts negotiating the free trade agreement. It's very unlikely that trade agreement will be concluded in two years. So the government In two years time will be confronted with the same risk of the cliff edge Mm. and will likely have to ask for an extension of the transition at that point now uh, from my perspective it's very clear in the chancellery in the european parliament in other capitals in europe they will make any subsequent extension of the transition painful Mm. because from europe's perspective they want to move on Mm. the ep european parliament is insisting on a sunset clause they don't want to be distracted by Brexit they want to look forward talk about Eurozone reform and renewal, Macron's agenda um, thinking about the, the future of the EU mm. um, frankly without, without the UK in it so the, tran- the length of the transition um, I think is, is one contentious area where the government is still not thinking realistically about um, how much time will actually be needed to conclude the new trade agreement that's, that's one area, the second is third country relationships which all come into question once we leave in March 2019. I mean, there are between 53 to 60 third country trade agreements that the UK benefits from as a, as a member state of the EU. Once we're no longer a member of the EU, those relationships all come into question. The legal status of those relationships comes into question in order to ensure continuity. what What's essentially needed is a trilateral agreement between the UK government... The EU and the third country right. to maintain trade on equivalent terms, and it's not clear there's enough time or space to achieve that. So the whole the whole um, legal status of these agreements uh, that the UK is currently a party to becomes very unclear in the transitional period. And it's not clear at the moment in Whitehall whether they have good answers to address that. I think the Commission. Task Force 50, they see this as the UK's problem and it is indeed the UK's problem so that's something um, I think it's worth keeping an eye on and the last and the final thing I would find is just how you actually implement the Article 50, I mean there is a view in Berlin that the cleanest way so how you implement the transition
0: yeah, not just, yeah Yeah. and
1: the the view in Berlin I think the cleanest way to do it would be to extend the European Communities Act because ultimately um, if during the transition ECJ will continue to have jurisdiction and oversight and enforcement in the context of dispute settlement and we have to continue adopting EUACI and implementing EUACI and we have free movement of labour well, the vehicle to do that is the European Communities Act now, of course, Theresa May is going to repeal the European Communities Act in the context of the Great Repeal Bill So, um, and, and the Article 50 is the legal vehicle through which the transition will be implemented but then elements... Off the Article 50 will have to be suspended for the period of the transition. So le- legally, um, it's complex. I don't think the government can extend the European Communities Act. And it's just too politically contentious, I think. may you know, would get two black eyes from the hardliners. So what, what they'll have to do is, once they've repealed the European Communities Act, they've implemented the withdrawal agreement, and then they suspend the withdrawal agreement for the transitional arrangement, a new piece of legislation, which I... Is what David Davis has been talking about will have to be implemented for that period that essentially imports all the European Communities Act, all of the norms on free movement, and um, integrating new EU acquis during that period into the UK statute book. Um, so it's com- the, 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 the legal mechanism by which you implement the transition is complex and will require some thought.
0: Okay, to, to finish off, uh, Midge, and to put you slightly on the spot. I know often in your notes uh, you you would like putting in levels of probability of various scenarios so let me throw out three scenarios and you can ke- tell me your current <laughs> level of probability of these, these scenarios panning out by, by the end of next year should we say. First of all that, um, that Theresa May will not be Prime Minister. Very
1: hard Paul, I mean really hard. I think right now we were at 55% May surviving, you know again this week and Demonstration of how beholden she is to various constituencies in her in her government in parliament makes me believe it's more likely than not she won't make it through. I mean, there's in the sense of number ten is get a deal in December. It creates a whole set a, whole, a, a, set, a momentum yeah. for the administration that they can then use in phase two. But I just think the substantive challenges are so difficult and politics so divisive. Mm-hmm. My own sense is probably not.
0: Okay, scenario two then, level of probability that sometime between now and the end of 2018 there'll be a general election which the Labour Party will win
1: So there I think the number is a lot smaller 5-10% there or thereabouts um, I think more likely will be a change of leader um, so you know trees are made replaced. I think okay. probably a hardliner. I think that's a more likely scenario than a general election but I would say Paul, the general election risk is really the risk that the Article 50 deal does not travel through Parliament. That's the mechanism, to my mind, through which you get an, a, an early election. Otherwise, I think what you get is Theresa may you know, a, a kind of, coop of palace coup of sorts where okay. she's, she's replaced, but it doesn't trigger a general <laughs> election. I think for that, you really need a consequential vote to fail. And to my mind, that vote is okay. the Article 50. As a comment, for example. Yeah, okay.
0: exactly. OK, the final <laughs> scenario. Um, that public opinion will shift significantly uh, against Brexit uh, into, to, to force the political elites <laughs> of, of this country to, uh, to take a, a new view about whether Brexit is a good idea after all. Less than 5%. It's going to happen. Brexit's going to happen. I
1: think so, yeah. It's just about the form. I find it very very unlikely that the, the economics... I mean, you, you, need, you need real economic pain in the constituencies that voted for Brexit. For those constituents to then recognise that's the function of Brexit, to, to reframe the way they're thinking about migration versus economic openness, for that to then be reflected in public opinion data consistently for a period of time, for that then to impact the political debate in Westminster, for it to affect the position frankly of John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, so that they then define a the soft Brexit policy, not simply in the transition but also the end state very hard to believe because I just don't think John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn believe in the EU But <laughs> <laughs> the demographic that they sit on top of is equally if not more divided on Europe than uh, Tory voters so
0: I, th- I think it's highly highly unlikely well thank you for those three scenarios we have to leave it there unfortunately <laughs> so much to talk about Mitch Rahman thank you very much for your time thanks Paul <laughs>